This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, Disability Law Show. So excited to be back with you for uh, this particular hour. Martin Willips is your guy. He is a lawyer. I simply uh, steer the ship. He fills the container. So he's the important guy. And you can always reach out to Martin anytime when we're, uh, we're not doing the show. The phone number first, one 1-8- Five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That is the treasured email. Why? Because we answer a ton of them every show. So feel free to uh, to chime in and join the show anytime via the email. Help at disabilityrights.ca. For any other questions, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. And the main topic: frequently asked questions regarding independent medical examinations. Martin, let's get right into this sucker before we move over to some emails. The obvious question, I'm going to launch a lob an easy one over the plate for you. IMEs. What is an IME, my friend? Yes, thanks, John. Good question, and we get asked that quite a lot. So Mm -hmm. IME stands for Independent Medical Examination. So in terms of a disability policy, which as we know is a contract, and under the rules of court, people are allowed, and insurance companies are allowed to conduct what is called an independent medical examination. That is, in theory, a medical examination that is done by a third-party examiner, a third-party doctor. When I use the phrase third-party, I mean that it's not somebody who treats you. It's not somebody who's going to get involved in your treatment. It is a doctor who is retained by an entity and asked a specific series of questions regarding what you are complaining of so for example if it is you have depression you may be sent to a psychiatrist who is hired by this independent entity which may Mm. be the insurance company quite often it is the insurance company who would be sending you and then they would be hiring this doctor paying this doctor for an opinion the word independent is supposed to say that this person is at arm's length so they're not you know, they don't have any direct interest in the outcome. So what they do is they r- review clinical records that have been provided to them. So your doctors may have treated you. Their files are sent to the independent assessor. That doctor then reviews the files, does a clinical examination of you, and then responds to a series of questions. For example, it may be, what is the diagnosis? What are the restrictions and limitations? Is the person being appropriately treated? What treatment do you recommend? Are there any restrictions and limitations that would prevent the person from working in this particular job? Could this person potentially work in another job? What may be the prognosis? And when an independent medical examination is done, you normally show up at this doctor's office. Sometimes they are done virtually. And then the doctor asks a series of questions. Depends on, of course, on the type of doctor who it is. If it's a, if it's a psychiatrist, it's not going to be a physical examination. If it is an orthopedic surgeon or a physiatrist, they may do various tests. There may also be something called a functional capacity evaluation where you will attend at a clinic and it will be an occupational therapist who puts you through a random battery of tests to see what your functional capacity is. There's a lot to be said about these things, but the point that is being made is it is not somebody who treats you. It is somebody who simply assesses you based on the instructions of an insurance company, and they then respond to questions. I will say this as well. 
when a claim is denied and we are retained and it may go into what is called a legal claim right. we can also then send you as our client for an independent medical examination to a doctor whom we choose and it normally would be for example again if it's depression it may be a psychiatrist who we choose to provide an opinion based on the same basis that it is an independent medical examination there are cases and I'm not going to say this happens every time but there are certain cases where it may appear that certain assessors get used by certain entities over and over and over right. again which right. may then look like is this really independent or is it not so it is always wise to try and find somebody who does both sides like they may do assessments for insurance companies and they may do assessments for pe people making claims because the appearance then is that this person does an objective assessment based on they do it for both sides so it can be done when we get involved kind of makes sense for you guys if, if it's needed to send somebody for an IME but why is the insurer allowed to do that do I have to attend it if they say so you know uh, going back to the point I made earlier a policy is a contract the contract yeah. has rights and obligations and one of the rights as an insurance company would say is that the insurance company has the right to have you assessed by doctors as they see fit or examiners as they see fit the policy may also have a provision that says that you have to cooperate with all reasonable requests at the end of the insurance company the reason why they do this and I've seen this happen is an insurance company may review your records you've made the claim the insurance company may then have it reviewed by one of their in-house doctors the doctor may then recommend that an independent medical examination be done because they're not 100% clear on whether they agree with what is being presented to them so the point being is if the, the policy has that in it that the insurance company can have you assessed should you or must you attend you face a potential denial where they may say you are breaching the terms of the policy if you refuse now that is a you know it's a superficial statement because it really depends on the facts of the case do you have to attend is it reasonable for you to attend so it depends I suppose on what has been recommended what are the circumstances do they say well you live in a very remote community we're gonna fly you out where you may have you know a mental health disorder that prevents you from leaving the house it really depends on the circumstances but in a general sense the policy does allow the insurance company to conduct an examination an independent medical examination and you have to attend depending on the circumstances yes you do so there you go it's uh, it's pretty uh, pretty plain but how often can here's a question for you Martin how often can an insurer send me to an IME you know this is an interesting question because insurance companies will say well we can send you when we think is reasonable can they send you three times a year four times a year if they continue to pay you benefits it really depends on the circumstances of the claim but I would say no it has to be reasonable right so an insurance company as we always say has a duty of good faith so if you are being seen by your own treatment team for example use mental health again you're being seen by your family physician you're being seen by a psychologist you're being seen by a psychiatrist and the insurance and these people provide updates to the insurance company the insurance company wants you to be seen by a psychiatrist fair enough you go and you see the psychiatrist the psychiatrist support, supports your opinion 
then later on they want to continue to do the same thing. At some point I'm going to say, look, this, you have a duty of good faith here. You really need to look at what is being presented to you on an ongoing basis. If your psychiatrist previously agreed with the diagnosis, agreed with the disability, and nothing has changed, why do you need another one? So mm -hmm. it depends on the circumstances. It may also be that the insurance company will say, we're going to send you to a psychiatrist, then we're going to send you to an occupational therapist, we're going to send you to a pain doctor. It depends on the circumstances of your claim. It depends on what conditions you have. But it has to be done on a reasonable basis. Insurance companies cannot abuse that provision in the policy where they say, well, we're relying on it, so we can send you to as many spe uh, specialists and IMEs as we want. I disagree with that. It has to be done reasonable, and it really depends on the facts of each case. And if an insurance company is pushing you to attend for an IME, you've already done a few, I really think that at that point it may make sense to reach out to us so we can have a discussion with you, yeah. look at the facts, and see whether it is reasonable, ultimately. Again, guys, reaching out anytime to Martin, knowledgeable for sure. Got a great team with him as well, one 821 5900 help at ca. We're talking about IMEs, independent medical examinations, and if you've been on any sort of disability for some time, chances are you've uh, been asked to go or you're familiar with this. But, you know, if, if I've attended an IME, uh, Martin, can the insurer simply send me to another IME to a doctor with the same specialty if the insurer, well, let's say they didn't accept the initial IME doctor's opinion. They want something else. They're, they're fishing for more. Can they do that? Goes back to my point of this is a contract where, you know, it's a peace of mind contract. They owe you a duty of a good faith. They have to adjust your claim reasonably and objectively. So if they've taken the step because they didn't accept what your doctor was saying in terms of your disability, if they have taken the step to send you to an IME, an independent medical examiner, <laughs> and that doctor comes back and says, I agree with the treating specialist's opinion. I agree with the person making the claim. May not be with respect to the diagnosis, but probably is, but also agrees that the person cannot work. And the insurance company then says, well, we now want to send you to another one. No, they should not be doing that because I would say that they are breaching their obligations under the policy. They've had the opportunity, they chose a doctor, they got that opinion, now it looks like doctor shopping. Now it looks like they're going out to try and find a doctor who may agree with their position that you may not be disabled from working. So if that happens, the first thing you do is you get in touch with us because that is, in my t mind, a breach of their obligations and a breach of their duty of good faith to you. And with that, we're going to take a short break, guys. We've got so much to get to, and we're going to finish this particular topic, and I want to get to a ton of email. And how, how do you summon along? It's uh, it's easy, right? It's help at disabilityrights.ca. You have other questions, you can ask them anonymously at mydisabilityquestions.com. And that email is uh, good, but the phone number rules as well, one 855 That's the number to reach out to Martin and his team. Short break, and back with lots more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. You bet. This is the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy, lawyer, uh, answering all of your questions and needs. He's got a great team with him as well. Feel free to reach out anytime by phone. 
Just have that uh, non-committal conversation, right? It's simple. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. We uh, we kicked off the show, Martin, talking about some independent medical examinations, IME, how they work. Do you have to go? What is it by definition? What can I do or what does someone do if they disagree with the IME doctor's opinion? Because there's a chance you might, right, if they're set up yeah, by the insurance company. Very true. And you know what? If the doctor finds or the doctor's opinion is that you're not disabled from working, you're going to disagree with that opinion because ultimately you made an, a, a claim because you and your doctors agree that you cannot work. So if you disagree with that doctor's opinion, I quite often also would say, you know, it, it, there's a lot to be said here. Number one, that doctor had an opportunity to see you maybe for two hours, three hours, 30 minutes, depends on what time frame it was. That was the total time frame of the interaction with you they did not have an opportunity to see you where you may have been healthy and your doctor observed you as your condition as you got sick and your condition worsened to the point that you could no longer work they may have seen you on a good day it may have been a functional capacity evaluation where you don't generally do what is required of you of this occupational therapist you participate by putting in all the effort that you can you do okay but in the days that follow you crash and there was no follow-up with you to see how did you fare because of all the effort that you exerted. For example, it may be somebody with chronic pain. It may be somebody with um, chronic fatigue syndrome. They attended these assessments and then they crashed. And that crash lasted for weeks. Yet, what the doctor or the assessor saw was simply that limited snap frame of time where they could observe you. They don't know what happened beyond that. So, very likely, you are going to disagree. People sometimes feel overwhelmed because now the insurance company has gone out and they've spent two or three thousand, maybe more dollars in getting that opinion. So now they're going to deny your claim. And when they do, people will think, well, they've got these opinions. I'm up against this big insurance company. What can I do? I'll tell you what you do. You're going to reach out to us because we will review the claim with you. We're going to look at the denial letter and we're hopefully going to be able to look at that IME report. You're also going to speak to your doctor about it because your doctor very likely will now have a copy of, the, of that opinion. Right. And that opinion very likely will be contradicting what your doctor said because your doctor is supporting you. The IME doctor is not. So he's obviously disagreeing with what your doctor says. And your doctor is probably not going to like that. Your doctor may want to write a letter to say why they disagree with the IME doctor's mm -hmm. opinion. Ultimately, though, what is the insurance company going to do? They've got this opinion now from what they say is an independent person. They may say your doctor is an advocate for you. They may say your doctor may not be objective. So what you need to do is have an opinion from somebody who deals with these types of issues on a daily basis, who knows where the pitfalls may be, who knows what to look for in that opinion, and to know how to navigate it. So uh, as I've said before in other programs, we dealt, deal with cases through all, throughout Canada other than Quebec. Um, we also speak about these issues on our TV shows. Um, mm -hmm. We deal with this on a regular day. We deal with people, or we respond to people who call us with these types of issues. I don't want you to be overwhelmed if you are faced with an IME doctor's opinion that doesn't agree with you or your doctor. There is something to be done about it, but you won't know what it is until you reach out to us and we can give you your options and then you can make an informed opinion. But do not simply accept that opinion because, t I believe, believe me, it's not set in stone. We can deal with it. 
And as Martin said, the TV show and other radio shows past and, uh, and going forward can be found disabilityrights.ca. There's a media page there. You can spend some time and, uh, and find us there. I want to get into some uh, some emails here, Martin. First one. Strap in, we'll get to this one. It says, guys, I've been on claim with the insured for four years. I've attended three IMEs. All have supported that I am disabled. The most recent IME report was not sent to me, but to my doctor. The insurer advised me that their treatment recommendations made the report, and I must attend counseling. I told the insurer that I would like to discuss the report with my doctor before I do anything. My doctor was away from work, uh, from work uh, uh, sick for two months. When I finally got to see my doctor, the insurer denied my claim. As I said, I'm not following through with treatment recommendations. My doctor reviewed the report with me. The IME doctor did not recommend counseling as a means to get back to work. The IME doctor noted that I likely will remain unable to work, but suggested that counseling me, uh, counseling my assist, assist me uh, manage things. Pardon me, it's a tough email. Uh, I've done counseling before and continue to do the exercise and use the tools I learned. I was specifically discharged, as even the psychologist noted. There were no further benefits to be had. I'm not sure if the IME doctor knew about this. My disability is chronic pain, which has resulted in a mental health decline. Counseling may help me manage from a mental uh, from a mental health standpoint, but will not help me get back to work. All doctors are in agreement with this. Wow, how do you tackle that one? Okay, well, that, that's a fairly opportune email considering that we're speaking about independent medical mm-hmm. examinations, and this just shows how fact-specific these cases can be, right? Because we can speak about it in a general sense, but then you have something like this, which is so particular. Um, four, three IMEs on claim for four years, meaning that the insurance company is accepting and has accepted that this person cannot work in any other occupation based on their transferable skill sets. There are two issues at play here, from what I can see, medical conditions at least. There is a mental health disorder which has been caused by a chronic pain disorder. Reading between the lines here, the chronic pain disorder is already disabling. Now there is mental health on top of that. So does the insurance company have a point that the person should be in counseling when their own doctor, well not their own doctor, the IME doctor has recommended it? Maybe, but you know what? You need to be in appropriate treatment for your condition. Who decides that? Did this IME doctor have all the knowledge? Did they know about the fact that this person had already gone through counseling and that it didn't, well, it may have provided some help, but now the person's at the point where they're doing the exercises and the mental health tools that have been provided to them, using those in order to manage, as this person says, their mental health on a daily basis. So the insurance company turned around and denied the claim because the person is not under appropriate treatment and not following through with recommended treatment advice. I disagree with the insurance company on this point. Strongly disagree because two, di- two conditions, mental health and chronic pain, has tried counseling. That has been exhausted. No further benefit to be had. This is a doctor now who says it may help manage things but the person is not going to get back to work so on what basis can you then say that the person is not being appropriately treated you know when they speak about appropriate treatment it normally would be with respect to the disabling condition now this person clearly is doing other things with respect to the doctors and the disabling conditions but the counseling is not going to help them get back to work so I don't think this is an avenue for the insurance company to go down on. It is, in my mind, clutching at straws to say, well, we're going to use this now 
as an example, as a reason to deny you. Because we know all the doctors agree that this person cannot work. So how can they then deny the claim? Because simply because he's not doing counseling, which he has done before, which helped to some degree. So definitely, in this case, I would wonder about, remember when I said earlier, there's a duty of good faith, where the insurance company may actually even be breaching their obligations here as well. Which goes back to my per earlier point. If there is an IME, and you may disagree with that opinion, there are things to be done. And it mm -hmm. is so fact-specific, you would want to have somebody who knows what you're talking about review this with you. So don't be discouraged. Contact us and we'll review your options. Really appreciate that email again, help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number, 1-855-821-5900. All right, uh, Martin, let's roll down to another email. Got a ton of them coming in. Guys, I got a mortgage insurance coverage. Uh, I've been injured in a ski accident a few years ago and made a claim with the insurer. It was paid for the maximum 24 months. I did not return to work and remained disabled. I continued to pay premiums. In the last month of benefits being paid, I was diagnosed with uh, ankylosing spondylitis, which has been an entirely uh, new set of symptoms. When I reviewed my mortgage, we reviewed my details and discussed my coverage. My broker recommended that I apply again for mortgage disability insurance. I did not know that I could do that as I thought the previous claim cover the maximum period payable. I was told as this is a new disability, I can apply again. I applied. My claim was denied. As the insurer said, I was out of time to apply about a year. Is this right? Do I have any options? Okay. So good question. Um, mortgage insurance coverage, you know, it generally is limited to 24 months, but it depends on what that master policy says. And when I refer to the phrase master policy, you may have gone to your bank, you may have applied for mortgage insurance coverage. In other words, if you become disabled, there's an insurance company who will pay your mortgage payments for a specific period of time up to a maximum amount of money. That policy that I'm referring to, the master policy, is something that is done held in the background for the bank. So it may have thousands and thousands of people covered under that one policy. Therefore, it's a little bit different from your group insurance that you may have. This is something that you have through the bank but is underwritten. In other words, it's paid out by an insurance company. And these policies have specific terms that may be a little bit different from a group policy or an individual policy. Generally, they are payable for 24 months per disability. I have seen once where the insurance, which may provide that if you then have a different disability, an entirely different disability, that you may qualify for another set period of mm. months for payments. It depends on when that happens. It sounds like this person was paid the first 24 months for the ski accident, then was diagnosed with an illness, which caused an entirely new set of symptoms, and now wants to apply for that. In theory, I believe that that is possible, that they can do that, even if this arose during that 24 months, there may just be an overlap of time, right? But what happened here is this person was not aware, as happens often, that there may be another claim for which they could apply because the previous 24 months had been paid out. They end up in the bank. The bank reviews the coverage with them and says, look, you may have an opportunity to make another claim. They then make the claim. The insurance company turns around and says, well, you were too late. Is there anything to be done? This, your too late issue, is based on contractual provisions. In other words, the contract may provide that you have certain timelines within which you have to report the claim and within which you have to provide proof of your claim. It's done, it's late by almost a year. 
there's something called relief against forfeiture, which is an equitable principle. So it may mean that if there's a reasonable explanation as to why you applied late, and if the insurance company was not prejudiced by the late application, in other words, they can go back, they can look at the clinical records, there was no way for them to manage your claim, then you may still be able to pursue this. So do you have options? A hundred percent. Yes, you do. Because that contractual timeline, if there's a reasonable explanation as to why you missed it, there is an arguable claim to pursue here. So again, when people get faced by these contractual denials, they get scared because they don't understand them. Yeah. I would want to review that with you. I could do it or somebody else in our office could do it. We've got a bunch of lawyers, a good team who could review these types of cases because we deal with them generally. Just because you missed a contractual timeline does not mean that you don't have a case to argue. So yes, please reach out to us. I believe there is something that we can assist with. And we'll get into a short break. More of your emails coming up. If it doesn't make it on a show or prefer not to have it on a show, you can outline that when you send it along to help at disabilityrights.ca. Beyond that, you can always phone Martin and his team and talk to one of them and get some uh, some advice and some knowledge as well before you make any moves or start to panic. There's always that phone number, eh? one 821 5900 And just to learn more about LTD and that world that we talk about here each week, simple, concise, non-legalese language, LTD. FAQ.ca. Check that one out, ltdfaq.ca. And we'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Yeah, we're back. Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Martin Willems is the lawyer here on air and he's ready to answer your questions. Got a great team with him as well. No question or answer too small or too big. Bring it on. He'd love to talk to you. one 855 5900 when we're not doing this show here on the air help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address which we're going right back to right now martin i was denied ltd benefits i'd apply because i was diagnosed with depression and anxiety on top of an existing ptsd disorder i've been working for 10 years i've seen doctors in the past on and off for mental health but things took a turn for the worse the past year I cannot put my finger on it but i feel things that i had suppressed had just exploded to the surface I was in the armed forces uh, years ago and witnessed and experienced very traumatic events. Even though I had some counseling, I don't think I ever properly dealt with it. My claim was denied as the insurer said that there is an exclusion that if my disability is caused by participating in war, it is not payable. I was in the forces 20 years ago. Lots of stressful things have happened since then. My family has a history of mental illness. I do not feel that it's right to deny me benefits as I've been working consistently for the past 10 years with the same company. Can you help? Well, you know, I, I, I want to say that this is unique, but surprisingly, I've seen this before, this mm-hmm. exact circumstance. So going back to the earlier position, contracts, these policies are contracts. And under these contracts, there are certain, how should I put this, certain conditions, certain times where mm-hmm. disabilities are not covered. And it may be if you're participating in a, resur- in a resurrection or if you're participating in something that you shouldn't be, or it may be something like this, where if the disability itself is caused by being part of a war, um, 
then it's not going to be covered. Now, you would imagine it would be because there would be hundreds and hundreds of cases that would have been filed. I think that was the intent, but I've seen insurance companies deny cases like this where the person was in the war, was at least in the armed forces, participated in some operation overseas, saw some traumatic things, came back, worked for a period of time, and then after years they crash. And then this forms part of their history. Clearly there were traumatic things that, have, that, that happened that impacted their mental health, and the insurer then relies on it to deny the claim. Is it too far? Is it too remote to say that that is what caused this? Because the insurance company, when they deny a claim based on an exclusion, my position is that they have to prove why this claim is excluded. As the person making the claim, you have the duty to prove that you're disabled. But mm. if the insurance company is saying we're going to exclude it based on something that we're relying on, we would say that they have to prove it. Now, look at the circumstances here. Look at the facts. Clearly, this person acknowledges that they had been in a war type of situation where there were traumatic events. They acknowledge that some of that created PTSD, maybe depression, anxiety, never was really properly dealt with. But look at the other things that are being said. It also, there's a history of mental health illness. And this person also says lots of other stressful things have happened since. So this person was in a war conflict 20 years ago. Right. In the past 10 years, have been working consistently. Other traumatic things have happened outside of that time when this person was in that war conflict. So can we, can a doctor say it's solely due to what had happened in the war? I don't think so, depending on what the circumstances are. But looking at this, these facts that are presented, I think a doctor may say, and if your doctor agrees with this, that what happened there was part of the bigger picture of all the things that have happened and you're already predisposed maybe because of a family history of mental illness. The point that I'm making is again, do not accept on face value when insurance company says, our policy says when you participated in a war and your disability is resulting of it, that there is no claim. I disagree again. It depends on your specific facts. And if there are other facts, like it's not, not all due to the war, it may be due to the other traumatic experiences that you've had, it may be a combination of things, then again, there is an arguable claim to make. And the only way that you would know that is if we reviewed all of this with you. And a way to reach out now that the email has been sent is uh, one eight five five eight two one. 5,900. We got uh, we got a few more going down here. Let's get into it. Uh, guys, in a situation where I've only accident insurance and I injured my back in an accident, do I have a valid claim for the uh, if the insurer is saying that because I have degenerative changes in my back, my disability is related to a sickness and is therefore not payable? I'm very frustrated. I've told my broker I wanted both accident and sickness insurance and thought that it was uh, covered for. Further, the accident was severe. I fell eight feet and was taken to hospital by ambulance. Yes, I have degenerative changes in my back, but I never had issues with my back until I fell and hurt it. Now I'm in a constant pain. What do you think, Martin? Well, <laughs> these are interesting questions today. Um, there are certain policies where you can pick whether you want to have both accident and sickness coverage or whether you only want accident coverage. Sometimes people may apply for both, but the insurance company then have the underwriters look at your specific medical history 
and they will then make a decision as to whether they're prepared to insure you for, for example, sickness as well. It seems that that is what happened here. This person wanted mm. both, but then was just covered for accident. Now there is a claim. And I've seen this happen many times before. When a person hurts their back in an accident, like here, the person fell, hurt their back, mm -hmm. had a significant, and it sounds like it was quite a traumatic accident, was taken to hospital by ambulance. We would want to know what was the injury? Was there an injury to the spine? Was there a, was there a broken you know, vertebrae? Was there a, f a rupture of a, a vertebrae? We want to know exactly what happened. Is it more than just soft tissue injuries? Because these policies that I'm talking about, these accident-only policies, will have certain provisions dealing with what is a soft tissue injury to the back and what is an injury as is defined in that policy. So I've seen many people injure their backs when basically we all have degenerative changes in our backs, right? They may say this person is now 55 years of age, they've got degenerative disc disease, they then hurt their back, and the insurance company may say, oh no, we've seen on the MRI that you also have some changes in your back, so it is indirectly related to a sickness, not an injury. I know that there are people out there listening who probably have these types of cases, and they are more difficult to manage. So when we get involved, we want to get an opinion from the doctor explaining that, you may not have had issues with your back at all. Basically, everybody has these types of changes. It was this accident that caused this injury that has resulted in your disability. There are ways to manage these cases. And with respect to, you told your broker you wanted both accident and sickness insurance, it depends on what happened there because there may even be a claim against the broker if the broker did not follow through with your instructions to apply for sickness insurance on top of the accident insurance. It's of course a different scenario if the insurance company looked at your medical history and decided that they're not going to approve sickness insurance. But if the broker never did it, there may be a claim there as well. Guys, we'll take one more short break and get into a, uh, a little more here. Some more emails for sure are on the way. In the meantime, here's the number to reach out anytime. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or simply disabilityrights.ca. You want to search for past shows and link ups to our television show as well. You can do that. We'll return with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And back with more of the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. He's a lawyer on air with you now. You want to reach out to Martin after the show? Advise you always do. Show if it's a simple question. Maybe not for you. Maybe it's for a family member or colleague. Do not hesitate. You're encouraged to use this number. one 855 Email help at disabilityrights.ca Next email says, Martin, are claims based on mental health illnesses commonly denied? My sister has bipolar disorder. She'd been stable on medications, but they went off them, which I feel is due to their condition itself. She went back on the medications, but something has changed. I don't think the medication is working any longer. There are days she's so depressed she does not leave the house, and I'm afraid she may lose her job if things don't change. Would she have a claim for disability? It is a terrible thing to see her like this. What do you think, pal? I'm sorry to hear this. Um, just as a brief response to that question, are claims based on mental health illnesses commonly denied? The vast majority of cases that I see are based on mental health. The vast majority of them. Then there are other ones like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, um, 
fibromyalgia, things that mm-hmm. you don't generally can see on an X-ray or an MRI, the, the ones that are described as invisible illnesses. So yes, uh, from my experience, these are the ones that are denied the most. And of course, we know that mental health illnesses and mental health illness claims are on the rise. So I expect to see more denials. And I'll speak about that further. I could speak about mental health illness claims uh, for a two-hour show and still have more to say because we see so much of this um, during the course of our day. Your sister has bipolar disorder. She's been stable on medications and then went off them. Things didn't go well. Tried to go back on the medication and now, unfortunately, it doesn't seem that they're working on it anymore. She has more lows than highs, meaning that the depression is so severe that there are days that she doesn't want to leave the house and there's a concern that she may lose her job. So the question is, would she have a claim for disability? Uh, Yes, yes, and yes. And the concern here is, do not let her just carry on on this path without at least having a discussion with the doctor and say would you support a claim for disability because if it is so severe that she does not leave the house yet she's still employed it's possible that the employer may look at this and say well you're just not showing up on time at times we're going to terminate your employment and if that were to happen and you then wanted to submit a claim you may be out of time Mm. and the insurance company very likely will say that look you don't have coverage now because you're applying after your claim after your employment was terminated. You need to file a claim while you still are employed. That's why you have this coverage. So if you are unable to work, and it doesn't matter what the condition is, if it is a mental health disorder or some other medical illness, if you are unable, in other words, if you are restricted or limited from performing the duties of your occupation, have that discussion with your doctor and apply because you don't want to find yourself in a position where the employer terminates you and then you want to apply because it may be t- too late. Even in those circumstances, though, if, you, if that did happen and if you were denied, reach out to us because I've seen cases like that, more difficult to navigate, but we can help you with those. The insurance company looking at this may also say, look, you need to be on proper medication. So mm-hmm. further comment I'll make is, as the sister says here, it may be due to the condition itself. Bipolar disorder is a difficult thing to manage, obviously. And when things are going well and the medication may not be working, a person may not know that because when they reach the high of the disorder, they may make decisions that may not make sense, that are irrational, and make a decision to go off the medication. Insurance companies may often say, well, we're going to deny your claim because you're not being appropriately treated. But in a situation like this, remember, it may be due to the, dis- the, dis- the disabling illness itself that that decision was made. So it's easy to sit back and then criticize somebody who is living with this and who are in the throes of this by being extremely symptomatic and then to criticize them as to how they should be managing their illness yeah, right. when it is the illness itself that is creating these decisions. But that's a different discussion. Is there a claim here? Most definitely there is a claim to pursue. Go speak to the doctor. If the doctor supports you that you cannot work, apply. Apply for benefits. Because I think in the situation that what we're hearing here, it can be just, it, it could just get worse. Let me get to one more of the uh, last couple minutes here, Martin. Simple question says, hi, can you answer your on your show how you address conflicting medical reports? It's a good one. That is a good one. Um, suppose it goes back to something that we started off this morning. If Is it an independent medical examination or is it a you've submitted a report 
from your doctor saying that you cannot work and the insurance company has now generated a report saying that you can work as with everything it depends on the circumstances it depends on the facts if your doctor is saying you cannot work and you feel that you cannot work and your doctor in other words supports you and has written a report to deal with that there is a claim to be mad right because your doctor will have the benefit of having seen you and treated you over a period of time to be able to give an informed opinion if it is your doctor saying that you cannot work and the specialist who maybe saw you for five minutes hasn't given an opinion or may disagree with that don't be discouraged if you have the support of a doctor saying that you cannot work and if that is your position as well I'm not too concerned whether there ought to uh, whether there is another opinion saying that you can work it depends on the circumstances of what that person's involvement was in your care so ultimately if there are conflicting reports ultimately it depends on what your condition is what the opinion is who provided the opinion is it an expert is it your family doctor how much interaction have they had with you how much time have they had to observe you get worse it really depends on the circumstances but if there are conflicting medical reports same thing that I say to everybody don't be discouraged because we can look at what was said when it was said and what the information was available to the person who made the opinion all right, good stuff, Martin. You've been talking nonstop for an hour, so uh, yeah, I think a, a caffeinated beverage is in your future, my friend. But uh, but excellent work for sure. Look, if you had an email sent along, we didn't get to it. That's okay. We'll get answered by Martin or a member of his team very shortly. It may appear on a future show, so how about that? So keep sending them along. Would uh, would love to have them. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also the uh, way to ask anonymous questions with a searchable database, which means a question you're thinking of may have been asked before. That is mydisabilityquestions.com. That's free for you to use. ltdfaq.ca. That's for quick, easy-to-read notations about uh, LTD, ltdfaq.ca. And as we wrap it up here and, uh, and get out of here, I'll give you the phone number one more time to reach out to Martin and his team directly, one 855 821-5900. Again, 1-855-821-5900. Thank you for listening and contributing to the show. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.